and welcome to this episode of the Ventures in Wealth Tech. I am your host, Marshall Smith, Managing Director of First Ray Ventures. I'm really excited to have my friend and colleague, Emily Traxler, with me, who is the Managing Director of Data Services at First Rate. Welcome, Emily. Hey, Marshall. Nice to be here. Yeah. So, right off the bat, we got to address the elephant in the room. Uh, you're a Baylor Bear, and yes, uh, you work in Stick fintech. Yes, so, I tell am. me, how happy were you to see TCU lose in the national championship game? <laughs> uh, funny you say that. I think uh, I like cheering for the Big 12 teams, but man, TCU is a hard one to cheer with, cheer for. Um, luckily, that uh, coach, what's what's that guy's name? Guy Spike Dyke. <laughs> no, Guy uh, uh, Patterson. Oh Pryor, yeah. He was he was my main crutch. Not not so much Spike. I like him. He's good, so I can support that. Oh wow, you were not a Patterson fan. <laughs> Funny enough, no, I wasn't. And uh, good luck at UT. Okay, well, let's just continue on this Baylor trend because it's one of my favorite topics to talk about Baylor sports. In all things Baylor, um, you know, there's this really hot thing out right now, ChatGPT. So, Emily, tell me if you had ChatGPT while you were at Baylor, uh, how would you leverage that? Holy cow, man! I think uh, my whole experience could be different. Uh, plagiarism looked very different, uh, but in general, just uh, the ideas that you can get from artificial intelligence is insane. I mean. Talk about, uh, at my time in college, it was Ask Jeeves. I think it was pre-Google. Yep, so, I remember uh, Ask Jeeves. Remember Ask Jeeves? Uh, so Ask Chat GBT, much cooler than uh, Ask Jeeves. So definitely different in going into like more of Baylor's story. I think there was just this uh, idea that business just was so different then too. In 12 years, fast forward 12 years, what the world has done what technology has done, how people have influenced technology, and then even now, where we're going is just incredible. Yeah, you know, what I think's interesting about ChatGPT is, is that it's created a use case that so many people have engaged with personally. Like last night, I was thinking about building a marketing plan. And I was like, what are the steps in building a marketing plan for a business? Oh, you know what, I'm just gonna ask ChatGPT. It gave me a seven point plan on how to build a marketing plan for any kind of business and I was just like blown away by that but I think that's what everyone else uh, out there in the in the in the ethos ethosphere that's the wrong word in the atmosphere out there in the Twitterverse whatever you want to call it the metaverse soon enough uh, is all experiencing this AI technology with chat GPT and actually realizing wow there's some real-world applicability to this and now I'm experiencing it for myself yeah and uh, many people are calling this like the AI revolution yeah. is coming. So like, what do you think is gonna happen with, with AI and chat GPT and like, is it all hype? Is it real business value? Like what's next? Yeah, no, it's totally real business value. Um, I think there's, there's, a hu there's always gonna be a human element to me in any type of artificial intelligence. I think you can, you can, you can get extremely far um, with any type of AI technology. Uh, and they're surfing so much, right? Like the, the ingestion of all of this information, all of this data going into artificial intelligence, they're seeking it from all over the world, probably all over the universes that we don't even know exist. Um, but they're seeking all this information. How do you harness it? How do you find potential in it? And how do humans interact with it? Um, so I think the next real 
real uh, value add, especially in finance and in fintech, uh, wealth tech areas, is what do we do? How do we leverage this technology in, in banks, in mortgages, in um, you know whatever, donor advice funds? How do we harness all of this technology that's coming through and all this data and actually leveraging it for our businesses to be stronger, to grow better, to grow faster, more efficiently? Yeah, I think you see this in like new technology innovation. Like it first kind of comes out of the gates and everybody thinks, oh wow, this is so cool. It's so revolutionary. Yeah. I think about that with crypto. You know, it kind of came out like strong in the yes. late 2000 teens, you know, 17, 18, 19, and Bitcoin pumped up and everybody was into crypto. Yeah. And then it kind of went into winter. Yes. Uh, we're kind of in another winter right now. But the, the, the point is, I think right about now, maybe five to seven years after the initial hype, people are building real enterprise applications on blockchain and people yeah. are starting to figure out the way to leverage this new technology is to solve business problems that have pain, that have dollars associated with them, real world use cases. And if you can prove that this new technology changes the economics of delivering a, a good or service, then it like it creates value. Yes. And so I, I'm kind of hearing you and in, in thinking about AI and chat GPT is like, there's this hot thing that people are playing with and see the applicability to come up with marketing strategies yeah. or write a letter to my boss saying, you know, XYZ, ChatGGP will do that. Oh, that's cool. It's very, um, just like a fun use case that I can tell at a, at a bar or yeah. at a cocktail party. Yeah. But like what you're getting at is like, what's the real business value? So where, where do you see that in FinTech world? Yeah, you know, I, th I like your example of crypto because even like crypto or robo-advisors, those are all hot topics because marketing made them hot or because mm -hmm. the media has made them hot um, and it makes it relevant. Now, we don't hear as much about it. I mean, crypto, yes, we're still seeing that in the news a lot, um, but like robo-advisors, it's not that they went away, yep. they're just leveraged differently and the yep. marketing hype surrounding it is leveraged differently. So what I see with artificial intelligence you know, it is hype, it is buzz, it is a, a marketing friendly thing uh, right now. And, you know, as we go into conversations about it, we like to do air quotes. Like um, for the people on the podcast, I'm, I'm doing the air quote, but we like to say air quote machine learning, natural language gener generation, um, artificial intelligence, because like in our world today, it's around us everywhere. I mean, you pick up your iPhone, like that has uh, uh, intelligence oh, yeah. within it. Um, so, to me, I think there is this marketing spin on it, but it's what, how do you outlast just the trend? And for artificial intelligence, for data, um, for chat GBT, that's the question for them. How are they gonna outlast that trend? But for us as business growers, or, or trying to um, build growth within the marketplaces that we're going after, it's about how do we leverage those things within our own technology base to be more efficient, to grow our businesses, um, leveraging everything that exists today, uh, but it might not be just the marketing hype behind it. Yeah, like I, one of the things I see out there with artificial intelligence is this fear that it's going to replace human jobs. Yes. And so like there's different studies and different prognosticators out yep. there who say we need to tax robots and we need to tax AI bots because they're replacing humans and when you don't pay humans, you don't generate taxes and yep. we need this AI economy to pay for all of us who get who are displaced mm -hmm. by artificial intelligence. Do you buy into that or what do you see will happen as AI does add more value 
for different business use cases? Like, how should humans think about artificial intelligence? People. <laughs> and people's yeah. the wrong way to put it, but it's almost like we personified artificial intelligence like it's the RoboCop. Yeah. And the RoboCop is coming to take your job. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, in my generation today, <laughs> I don't think that artificial intelligence replaces humans. I think it can, um, you know, I, I was just reading an article about McDonald's just opening up its fully robotic um, shop. And uh, to be honest, I, I, haven't, I haven't followed up on, you know, what's going on with that organization or with, the, with that fast food. Um, but I don't think you can fully replace anything with uh, artificial intelligence. There's always going to be a manual intervention or a manual learning that has to go into it that takes a human in, uh, to operate it or to leverage it or to do something with it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think about my kids, my daughter, a three-year-old, and my eight-month-old son. Do I think artificial intelligence could replace jobs in their generation? Yeah, perhaps I do. Um, and, you know, we see these futuristic movies all the time that have robots, you know, nannying your child or have uh, robot dogs or whatever it is. Um, but I just don't think technology-wise we're there just yet. Okay, so you brought in an interesting angle. You've got a three-year-old daughter yes. and a less than one-year-old son. That's yes. right? Yeah. Okay, so you're a mom and an expert in artificial intelligence. Do I have this right? And how many of, of you are there? <laughs> yes, um, I I like to joke I have octopus arms, so I like I can do everything. <laughs> For a yeah. lot of parents in the workplace that that wear multiple hats. Yeah, and so like I, even more than uh, you know, there's different angles on this, but you know, whenever I see people talk about artificial intelligence, it's almost an exclusively a male conversation. Yes, almost exclusively males, yep. engineers, AI, data scientists. Yes, uh, I haven't looked at the stats, but my guess is it's probably one of the most skewed gender um, uh, disparity yes, for people yeah. working in AI and data science. So how have you seen that uh, working in this space and what do you think the opportunities are? Yeah, so I would kind of go back to how did I get to first rate in general um, with this conversation and you know FinTech and wealth tech, I remember starting my career you know attending conferences in being one of five women in the room. And uh, I think uh, one of the, the people I've worked with in the past, she told me there's no line in the women's bathroom. Like that's huge to uh, for any woman to attend an event and there be no line in the bathroom. I think that says something about your industry and the disparity that exists. Um, every, I would say 90% of prospect meetings that I go on or 90% of, of client meetings that we have are typically male dominated uh, meetings. So as I was sitting here 12 years ago in my interview to be uh, to potentially work at First Rate, I just thought this is this is not going to be where I exist. Um, why would I want to be in fintech? My background is in marketing. Um, I loved marketing. I loved PR. Uh, this was kind of a landing point for me just out of college to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. Uh, fast forward 12 years later, I could not imagine not being in this industry. And I would say that a piece of advice that my dad gave me uh, after my very first conference that I went to, um, I think it was like a Gibbs conference or a CFA conference, you know, very large conference. Um, my dad told me, you know, if you're the only woman in the room, guess what? They have to listen to you. 
And so I was like, oh my gosh, okay, if I can really lean into this, if I can really go all in as a woman um, in this industry and really climb the ladder uh, and showcase my subject matter expertise on the different things that I was capable of, I could really make a difference in this, uh, in this organization at First Rate and in this uh, conversation on data, on artificial intelligence, or in anything else I took on in the past 12 years. Yeah, that's cool. So I want to uh, ask you about this, this role kind of transition. So you started at First Rate, a fintech company in marketing, mm-hmm. and now you have a role leading our data services business, yes. which many would look at as a uh, more of a technical sort of field, there's artificial intelligence worked into this this product and service that you're delivering. Tell us about that career progression. Like most people seem like start more technical and then they go to marketing or sales once they have the technical chops. So tell us about your journey and, and how that's worked out. Yeah, um, it's definitely a unique one. You know, I always heard uh, that if you're starting within a marketing and sales background, you'll never make it into a C-level uh, of any organization because they, you know, C-levels like to grow up in the operations. They like to understand all the technicalities. Um, They like growth, right, because we have to survive, Uh, but your opportunities are gonna be diminished if you you stay within the marketing and the sales organization. Um, So my journey has been on that side, and I like to say I'm not not a highly technical person. Um, You know, if you wanna get down into the weeds, I, I like to bring in my colleague for that, and that's okay. Uh, my focus, uh, what I want to be passionate about is I want to take this, this uh, trend, if you will, this data story, this artificial intelligence story, I want to take these use cases into the marketplace and give people an opportunity to understand how it could look for them. Mm-hmm. Because especially with data, no two use cases are alike. So anybody that says they're going to replicate exactly what you do today, run. Run away. You don't want replication of what you do today. You want something more efficient, something that you can leverage for the future of where you're going. Um, and that's been my whole mentality and my story here at First Rate uh, is just not, um, not being stagnant, but knowing that people that you have access to and leveraging those people and really creating a story around what you're trying to do uh, within your organization or within your market, whatever it may be. Yeah, so I, I, I talk to founders all the time and I get pitched by companies running an early stage uh, venture capital strategy. And, uh, you know, I hear product oriented founders pitch their product. It's revolutionary, it's so cool, it's better than anyone else's, you know, and, and rely on a lot of the technical aspects of what they're doing. And then there are founders who more rely upon this is the problem in the industry, this is how we're solving it, and this is how I'm going to get that solution to be known by the whole market. Mm -hmm. I think of them as more sales and go-to-market founders. And so what's interesting about your story is that more or less you earned your chops or you started your career learning how to communicate use cases, and now you find yourself really just focusing on one type of use case. Uh, related to data services and artificial intelligence and the ways in which it can enhance the way people are doing things. Mm -hmm. So maybe give us an example of some problems that you're solving with your customers today in the data services business and um, tell us about how it's creating real business value. Yeah, so you know one of the things about data services that's uniquely different is that we we can basically go into any industry, any marketplace and really run specific use cases into that marketplace. 
So today, um, our clients uh, utilize the data aggregation and normalization process um, within the bank trust space that, that First Rate exists in. And one of the value points there is that um, you can actually leverage and aggregate data from multiple custodians across the board, uh, large and small, and a lot of the aggregators in the industry today um, are not able to keep feeds open or not able to manually scrape or not able to manually ingest um, all of this information into an engine that then can output it into a format that they need. So I would say that's typically our, our largest use case right now. However, we're expanding into other additional markets utilizing what we call artificial, uh, what we call ARDI, our artificial intelligent engine um, and, and already is able to be trained into any type of use case. So the markets we target right now that we have um, that we have a large amount of growth in are around donor advice funds, um, specifically uh, family offices that are needing additional support. Um, and one of the really cool things about this is that there is a managed service component on top of it. So not only do you have the engine uh, outputting everything you need and everything you're training it to do, but then you have an actual human that's interacting with you when you do have problems. Um, and we hear that's a big value add in the industry today because a lot of our clients, uh, we're not receiving that level of attention, that white glove service that um, we provide from other aggregators or aggregators of aggregators in the industry. So, uh, yeah, human in the loop, I've heard yes. it called. You want to have yes. artificial intelligence, automated workflows, but then have humans in the loop, meaning in the workflow of that, creating higher uh, accuracy, quality, yes. and also providing potentially supervised learning yes, to the artificial exactly. intelligence engine. Yeah, and if you, from an accuracy standpoint, if you, again, if you get anybody telling you they have 99% accuracy, run away. With, with or without human in the loop? With, or, with, or both? Without human in the loop. Without human if in they, the loop. Okay. If they tell you they have an engine that is providing all of your services, um, with, with no customer service on top of it, with no human uh, interaction with that tool, um, run. <laughs> oh, wow. So you, earlier uh, you said uh, about servicing family offices as a, as a use case for data services. Tell us a little bit more about what you do for family offices, what they did if they don't use you today, and what are some of the problems that you're solving with uh, your solution? Yeah, family offices are so unique and, and can be so complex um, depending on, on what type of family office they are and how many families they serve. Um, the cool thing about the family office space is there's an unstructured and a structured component to it. So structured is typically, structured data aggregation is typically what you hear of most often, um, or when people quote aggregation, that's probably what they're quoting, and that has to do with direct custodial feeds. Um, and then the unstructured side is more of manual statement gathering, uh, or monthly statement gathering, or intraday data pools. Um, the cool thing within Family Office and what we're doing is we're able to do both structured and unstructured data, pulling alternative statements, for example, or alternative holdings, um, and being able to pull that in together, which is, is pretty unheard of, even in a lot of our competitors that market this, um, being able to pull it together, normalize the data into the output that the Family Office needs, and load it back into whatever their system of record is, whether that's a performance system, or whether that's just an, another internal book of records. Um, in the family offices, uh, customer service-wise, 
that's where I talked about the white glove service. Mm -hmm. So the human in the loop is really what puts the, the uniqueness of first rate on top. Because the way we, um, we interact with the client, if there's holes in the data, for example, because the custodian doesn't fill all of the uh, data components, or if we're processing tax lots, or if we have additional uh, metrics that need to be had on the aggregation portion, we're able to intervene in that process um, to help identify the problem, communicate with the client where the break happened, um, and then let them know what the time span is uh, in order to fix all of that stuff. So literally, we can go into our portal and identify the exact issue that's happening at any one moment in the machine mm -hmm. of the structured and the unstructured components. Um, so that's pretty uh, unique and unheard of in our industry. Oh, that's cool. Thanks for uh, digging into that. Um, it sounds like that's just the beginning of potential use cases in, in within financial services. Because yeah. in my own experience working with, with banks and other wealth techs uh, and other wealth managers, that they have so much of this looking at data in certain systems and pushing it into other systems and interpreting it, transporting it, yeah. pulling it out of documents. Yes. So that use case uh, is really interesting and probably has a lot more applicability in it elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, we're just surrounded by so much data. I think that the challenge in wealth tech and in fintech is like, what do you do with all of it? And like, how do you, how do you meet the need in one business unit at your firm, but also meet the need in another? And the cool thing about uh, what we're doing is that literally the, the, the use case is specific to the business line that you're trying to address. So we can go into a firm and we, we have a client like this right now where we went in with one use case. They introduced us into like the middle office because they need help with reconciliation on, on standard data aggregation. Then we went into the institutional side uh, because they need additional services and um, aggregating alternative statements. Uh, so it's really cool to go in and see, okay, we're providing five different things to five different business lines at one unique firm. That's cool. Hence the name data services. Yeah, hence the name <laughs> Any, data services. Anywhere there's data, uh, there's probably problems. <laughs> and then it sounds like you guys have the tools and solutions and know how to, to optimize them. Yes. So yeah. that's cool. So I noticed that you're a part of a, a, an organization here called uh, Chief. Yes. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, this, um, I'm really extremely proud of this. Um, just as a, uh, a woman in leadership, um, this chief network is really a career-oriented professional um, network specific for women in leadership. And, um, you know, with my background, uh, in the 12 years that I've been at First Rate, there hasn't been a lot of uh, women mentorship or even women, opportunities for women to get together within this industry and just talk about the challenges that exist or the challenges that we have. Um, and I, I do want to give a shout out to Chip at Tiburon because I think last uh, Tiburon conference, he actually organized an executive roundtable for women specifically. Um, and I think that was led by uh, Cheryl Nash and, and April Rudin. And man, what a difference that can make for women in the industry to have a network of people that can help support them and help mentor or help coach um, on the different areas that we're encountering, whether it's diversity related, advancement, um, or just thinking about our business units in a different way. Wow, that's cool. Yes, very cool. All right, well, um, I like to end the uh, Ventures in Wealth Tech podcast with a, with a question. They ask all of, of my, my guests, and it's really about early stage uh, ventures and startups and 
an ecosystem of new companies. And you know, with you guys in data services, you're you're essentially launching a new product, a new platform, a new service into the space using artificial intelligence as one of the the engines and drivers of that solution. And so the question I like to ask people is, you know, first raise a values oriented impact related firm. We exist to serve our clients, our coworkers, and our community. And uh, you know we've been in business for 30 plus years, and now we're getting much more active and involved in the early stage in venture space. But I like to ask all my guests, you know, what's a challenge in growing a new business that uh, is unique, and that if the startup community and the venture community incorporated some more values and impact into that ecosystem, that the clients and coworkers and communities of emerging products of startups of venture capital would be better served and so kind of bringing that impact to this startup world what's maybe something that you see uh, that's maybe an issue today or an opportunity to kind of leverage more of an impact lens or a values orientation to starting and scaling businesses yeah I think this is it's an issue but it's also an opportunity and it goes to time um, you know as we, as I think about data service in uh, the phase of the business life cycle that it's in, it's in a launch phase, and as part of that launch phase, it's just the time to do everything, um, having enough time to focus on growth, having enough time to focus on the operations and making sure your clients are served um, well, having enough time to be impactful in your in your um, local communities, in your in your own personal life. Um, having kids. <laughs> I mean, there's so much uh, that's lost in time, uh, but also an opportunity is to leverage and prioritize your time in a way that's productive, um, in a way that impact can actually happen. Uh, and that's why I like to tell my team or lead my team with um, the more intentional time we take on whatever we're doing, whether it's you know interacting with a client, whether it's uh, on a prospecting trip, talking about opportunities that can be had, um, just make it intentional, make it personalized, um, because people and emotions and human uh, empathy uh, for situations is what impacts us the most. And so just making it personal and, and being part of something that's bigger is more important than anything. Very cool. Well, hey, Emily, thanks for joining uh, the episode today. Enjoyed our conversation, and best of luck with uh, the remainder of the Big 12 and Baylor Bear football. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it.